This is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance Podcast. Uh, what are we now? 91. Podcast 91. With me uh, in New York, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. From Japan, Johan Edebo. Hi, Johan. Good morning. Yeah, <laughs> three in the morning in uh, Japan. Uh, Varun Mather in India. Hi, Varun. Hello, hello. How's it going? And I'm hoping uh, Corey will make it. She may or may not get to us uh, this evening or this morning, as it were. Uh, so uh, I did want to begin with, there were a lot of things we had discussed the last day or so, uh, our little group, uh, public education, the education of children, institutional education, compulsory education, these related topics. Uh, the, the, the war on farming, the mm -hmm. undercover of fighting global warming, there is an absolute and seemingly uh, unrelenting, ceaseless attack on on farmers, especially small farmers. Uh, <clears throat> but perhaps overriding both of those is a story that that I'm going to read from Paul Steigen's uh, webpage. And the actual author of this piece is, I'm not sure, but he's quoting from a bunch of people. I think it's just all the related writers at Steigen. So bear with me, <clears throat> excuse me, and I'm going to read a couple of chunks here because this is, the topic is solar geoengineering, climate manipulation, which is now official U.S. policy. And as the title of this report says, but no one knows anything about the consequences. Uh, from the magazine Politico, which is a Democratic Party rag, quote, the White House is giving measured support to the idea of studying how to block sunlight from hitting the Earth's surface as a way to limit global warming. In a congressional report that could bring an effort once confined to science fiction into the realm of legitimate debate, the controversial concept known as solar radiation modification is a potentially effective response to combating climate change, but one that may have, you know, pause, pause for effect, that may have unknown side effects stemming from altering the chemical composition of the atmosphere, some scientists say. Uh, but let me read a little further. The, the UN is on board. Um, the the uh, White House has issued several increasingly enthusiastic reports on solar geoengineering. The EU, this is a statement regarding the EU, quote, based on the precautionary principle, the EU will support international efforts to assess the risks of climate interventions, including solar radiation modification and promote discussions on a potential international framework for governance, including research related aspects. <clears throat> the European Union 
European Council said in a joint statement. The UN has issued a statement saying it was a great idea. The World Economic Forum, of course, uh, is on board in an enthusiastic way. Interestingly, China, and this is a quote from a news article, China is massively expanding its weather modification program, saying it will be able to cover half the country in artificial rain and snow by 2025. Uh, China plans to use rain generating chemicals to try to save harvests. Over 50 countries already use uh, solar you know, geoengineering. Uh, many kinds, there's links to all, I'll put it in, in um, when we get this up on SoundCloud, many, because there's link, tons of links. Many countries employ cloud seeding as weather experiments dramatically escalate globally. Uh, it goes, I mean, there's just, a, uh, but when we get down to the, the, the real kind of core engine on this, it's, it's largely Bill Gates. And uh, he has spoken to the media constantly. He gave it all the way back in 2010, Gates gave a talk, a TED talk, about emergency measures humanity could take to combat climate change if all else fails. Gates said, quote, there's a line of research into what's called geoengineering, which are different techniques that can delay warming to buy us 20 or 30 years. Now, it's just insurance. We'll hope we don't need to have to do that, he said but it should be kept in the back pocket. Um, okay, I don't have to keep going on. You get the idea. This, this is pretty enthusiastically embraced by a lot of governments. And what's troubling besides the, besides the rather obvious insanity of the entire project that no, as the, beginning of that article had, and nobody has any idea of the consequences. What is potentially troubling is the idea that these techniques will be tried. It's not like, it's not like working on a, in a test tube in your office. To test these techniques requires a test of considerable magnitude that if the consequences are bad as I would expect them to be, uh, everybody will suffer. None of us have signed on for this. Nobody has voted for uh, solar geoengineering to be implemented because nobody's really suffering any crisis or emergency right now in terms of the climate. But, but there you have it. So I have several questions. I get Varun, I see you say something. But one question is, if these EU governments are, are signing on to test these techniques, and I guess there's several related techniques, maybe more than several. As I say, this has not been something that was, that was put up to a vote. And are does this mean that 
the leaders of European countries are as stupid as this would make them seem? Or is it as simple as Gates has now finally, after a decade, bribed everybody sufficiently to get to play with his new cosmic toy? I don't know. Varun. Yeah, so I, I think I'll ask Johan a quick question about, uh, well, I'll cite an interview with Bill Gates from two years ago, where he was propagating the COVID vaccines, where he said it would take about two, two and a half years to understand what the effects of these jabs were. And if I think Johan has done, he's written quite a few pieces and we've, we've shared a lot of information about the adverse events and the as adverse effects of these untested shots that billions of people around the world have taken, right? And that was, that was a statement that went on international television. And I think if anybody's been following from, from all the statistics that Johan has compiled, it's very clear that it's unbelievable how bad the effects have been. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. scary and it's, 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 I mean, there is no other word that comes to mind except dystopian, oh, of yeah. course. And a few years ago, Bill Gates had tried to get this run through the EU and the European Council, and he got shut down because there was an, there was a lot of opposition. But they ramped. I think the mainstream. I mean, he's. I, I don't know him and his network have managed to ramp up the propaganda where twenty three degrees in England are being shown as a severe heat wave you know, like 25, 30 right. degrees. Right. And so there has been a kind of uh, slow ascent to accept that there is a, quote, severe rise in temperature, unquote. And, and therefore, I think the propaganda and the networking and the lobbying has worked where he has managed in some way to get this absolutely insane project accepted. That said, um, a lot of people in, in India have been sharing information about geoengineering projects, of course, which have been unfolding in the state of Karnataka, in the state of Maharashtra. These projects have already been in, implemented by, for cloud seeding, and Uttarakhand government was pressured by, was being pressured by the Supreme Court in the last few years about why not use geoengineering and cloud seeding projects to make farming models better. But incidentally, the government is now moving from farming into tourism. So there's a lot of incentivizing of tourism and there is geoengineering projects, which makes mm -hmm. people think that, that there is not gonna be any yields or any profitable mm -hmm. income or sustainable income even towards farming. So. There is a very concerted effort in, at least in India, where people are being divested. The interest of people is being divested from farming into indulgence economy. Mm. And yeah. I, I think that works very differently in the sense like the, the link that you had shared, John, about the policy being signed by 15, I think, different countries where farming is going to be abolished. So yeah, there, it, is, it seems like there's a, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like there's a concerted effort to say 
that farming is no good for the planet, which right, just right. It, it is such a delusional thing to say. It's just amazing. <laughs> well, <clears throat> yeah, I want to, Baruch, um, I'm sorry, Johan, but just quickly let me interject because these topics are obviously related. Uh, Geoengineering, cloud seeding, all of this dim the sun so that uh, there's a, uh, an atmospheric mirror, as it were, to reflect sunlight. That It's just madness. But this is happening simultaneously on parallel tracks with this assault on farming. And when you step back and look at this, you think, so, sun, food, <laughs> both are being posited as bad. Sun, food that the building block of life mm -hmm. without planet, which yeah. we can't survive are now and i saw a man on the street interview some idiotic TikTok with two white affluent looking high school students or maybe freshman college students saying yeah we have to stop farming it's the the primary engine for climate change <laughs> johan Mm, I, I can just basically repeat what, what you were saying here, because uh, I think we, whether or no matter what's actually happening in practice, that this, this notion, these ideas of, of a, I will, a push to, to, you know, blot out the sun and undermine farming, which is the foundation of human life on this planet. But what does this mean, really? What, what, from where does do these ideas come from? And I mean, you don't have to read very deeply between the lines to realize that it, it actually spells out some form of, of suicide, some form of death drive on the collective level, which is quite quite disturbing, actually. Yeah. Well, but and this is see, this is and then, then Hiroyuki. This I think is very interesting. What what you just said, Johan. It, that that. Uh, the, the most fundamental uh, mm. facts of for for sustaining existence sunlight it has always been associated with the giving of life the warming of humanity the fighting off the cold sun has always been a symbol of good and food the agriculture farming that which sustains it what do these people think they're going to eat exactly uh, well so then you have but then let me just say the other contradiction in this is what varun said which i think is very important contradiction is here you have all of this climate hysteria fear-mongering uh doomsday predictions we only have x number of years we, we, we have it we have to stop the thermometer the great cosmic thermometer from rising another 16th of a degree or something and all will be lost they've been saying this for 30 40 years uh and so we population reduction kamala harris has talked about it's out in the open we must pop reduce populations would be a good thing at the same time, and no travel, and don't travel. Buy a Tesla, but stay at home, and uh, certainly don't fly unless you're one of my invited guests on my private jet, then you can come with me. 
Otherwise, everybody stay at home. And yet, Saudi Arabia, India, Brazil, a lot of countries are making massive uh, investments in tourism. Saudi Arabia, unprecedented, they are going to change the country. Saudi Arabia 2030, uh, it's going to be the mega Dubai, but India as well, as you say. So these things don't mesh. There is, there is a fundamental contradiction at work and that is worth unpacking, I think. Hiroyuki. Well, sure, if we look at the, the whole thing and uh, uh, kind of um, uh, look at the overall effects of um, having this kind of uh, ridiculous notion uh, of uh, denying life and denying farming and uh, uh, you uh, obviously uh, uh, fuel the uh, uh, political forces that are uh, people who identify themselves as a conservative uh, right-wing kind of people. They, they would, you know, embrace um, uh, the momentum as oppositions to uh, this kind of direction. And uh, so mm -hmm. I, I would think, you know, at the end, um, we're gonna have um, more active um, uh, um, uh, uh, um, institutions, um, uh, political institutions with um, backing of corporate entities, which are betting on both both sides, yeah. Bill Gates, and also yeah. the other side that would be opposing big uh, corporate uh, factory farming kind of you know direction, uh, big farmers. Um, yeah. So you know, um, and I think the similar thing kind of happened with within the. Uh, uh, the militarism um, for the past uh, decades or so, the, uh, the the notion of the United States uh, being able to uh, dominate everything, uh, crush everything, destroy everything. Um, you know, the, the way the U.S. went in uh, the Middle East, destroyed uh, one after another the country's um, uh, culture, and uh, that gave uh, rise to within the establishment uh, who would oppose imperialism. There are organizations that are uh, the military veterans uh, opposing imperial forces. Um, um, the kind of activities that, that, are, that are obviously uh, uh, illegal according to any um, humane standards. So, uh, you know, that, that seem, depending on what, where you stand, if, if you stand with the idea that um, we have uh, the great forces that will take care of these bad things, um, sort of like uh, 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 the momentum that would agree with the, uh, this kind of myth-making that's going on today, uh, they, they would be happy to see these situations, but at the same time, for us who would oppose uh, the basic nature of the uh, social formation, this is, uh, this is the same thing. It's, it's really uh, legitimizing the, um, uh, the, the same structure, the same structure that's uh, 
guiding us um, in its way. And we were just giving different narratives and we are swallowing different narratives. We're taking sides, you know, we'll take this side this time and take that side that time, but we're in the same place, the same prison. So yeah, yeah. you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, uh, Barun, go ahead, man. I, I, yeah, I, no, I, I, I'm, I, this also, I mean, uh, this is going to be a sort of a long point, but I think what's very important here is that interdependence in the sense that a lot of people have been talking about communism, and we've tried to address that in various ways and to say that the community, which is dependent on itself rather than the superstructure, is far better off. Uh, rather than these kind of imposed rules by empire, right? Like that's the basic argument, like the most basic argument you can make. But if a company like, uh, and point that uh, Hiroyuki made about corporations taking over farming, there is, a, there is a very, very clear example in a company called Plant Lab, which is run out of the Netherlands, that wants to make a farm as big as the Netherlands in North Africa, to feed all of Europe. That is their intent. That is their intent. And they've already started their projects and their and, and it's it's kind of like led to seeding other smaller projects of urban farming and so on and so forth. But then what people don't understand is that it's it's you're taking away the livelihoods of billions of people around the world, right? In the right. sense that right. then that empire takes over food making uh, is going to be in the hand, like Adani is trying to do that in India and Reliance is trying to do that in India, where they're going to try and over, like, overpay for farmland for, uh, and bribe policy, bribe policy into making and so on and so forth. So where, where you can kind of manipulate this kind of very capitalist maneuver where a lot of the community sharehold is now only in the hands of a few. That's going to starve people. It's going to make. Yeah. It's going to force people into doing things that they don't really want to do. And so, if that that's a that's it's not a communist maneuver. It's a fascist maneuver. That's yeah, well, taking power away from the people. You know, like so. Yeah. But but this is but this is this is so interesting. Um, because if you there are there are multiple topics trending uh, parallel to each other. One is the, the attack on, on food production, on farming, the growth and a heavy investment in all kinds of alternative food production, 3D printed meat, crickets, whatever. There's, there's dozens of them. Uh, then you have uh the the overpopulation people now preferring to talk about depopulation uh and yet then there are countries that are massively investing in in tourism at the same time that the us and the un and different places are constantly hammering on about don't travel we must reduce tourism tourism is bad and so forth and so on. It is like run, but the through line to all of this is, is, is a kind of we are, we as the human race have reached a kind of 
of threshold for for technological irrationality. It is it is now makes no sense. It contradicts itself, and we have reached a point. We again, the world, humanity, reached a point where kids are growing up thinking farming and the sun are bad that there are actually and but and you have this i i hesitate to bring the transgender discussion into this but here there's no longer two sexes no longer yin and yang there's not that. now there's multiple ones you can just sort of self-identify but technology casts a long shadow over that movement as well because there's a lifelong dependency on big pharmaceutical and medicine and, and uh, technology involved in these procedures. And, and then at the same time as, as perhaps uh, prosaic as it sounds or something, there's the Writers Guild and Screen Actors Guild strikes in Hollywood. And one of the issues, there are many issues, by the way, and just the ghoulish nature of the producers is being revealed. But <clears throat> one of the issues is that studios want to be able to eliminate extras for movies and replace them with computer generated image. This would cost, un I mean, countless jobs for the people that, that feed, dress, transport, Etc. All of the people to movie sets that work as extras, day players, bit parts. The studios want to own the rights to the image, the AI image of people. So again, apparently the heads of studios think that nobody will notice the crowd scenes are all CGI because there is this cultic worship of technology underpinning so much of this. And it's, it's, part, of the, it's part of what fuels this kind of craziness. Johan. Sure, yeah. Uh, Budden's observations back a while back, I think are, are pretty important. And I would like to just get back to them for a minute. <laughs> There's something about you said here, connecting with, with with how propaganda has reached this, uh, in my view, qualitatively different level. You, you said, I think, that 23 degrees in Britain during the summer is, is extreme. You know, it's, it's the boiling of the world and, and people yeah. actually swallow this. So, so it seems to me that we've reached a situation where the media narratives can actually, in, in this, this very Orwellian fashion, express obviously contradictory statements absurd statement and yet have most of the people going along with it all you know not trusting in their own reason or experience and able to think critically more than a few meager steps and i, I think it's the same thing you see with this twitter clip that's making the rounds that i sent to you earlier john with this uh, this transgender u.s military operative oh, right. involved basically stating that, that well what the russians are not human beings period what, what, is, is this like the end point of the transhumanist project where, where, where you know, human, the status as a human being, human rights, human dignity are, are decided by, by intentions, no, not the individual's intentions, but institutional intentions, you know? Right, <clears throat> right. Well, yeah. yeah. Can I just, yeah. can I just quickly add something to that? 
please because I, I think this 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 propaganda of the transgender military person saying that the Russians are not human is quite well reflected in Barbie the new film that's all the rage because here you have a plastic um, being which has no sexual organs <laughs> which is representing the actual sentiment that humans are supposed to have which is infiltrating human society to teach it what it's supposed to be that's what the film is it's quite scary mm. in that sense like so mm. in the sense that that is that seems to be the that the artificial life is the real life becomes the narrative that what people are living is completely uh, disvalued is disassociated and so on and so forth so so in the sense that the neurosis of artificiality is being planted whether it's in in geoengineering or it's in sexuality or it's in war or it's in being itself all of it is being kind of promoted towards um transhumanism towards artificiality continuously right like so it's like a promotion of artificial intelligence so called well and <laughs> I, i i i wrote a piece this week that came out in dissident voice just kind of riffing off the vacation i took uh, with my kids and wife and uh and i i quoted david foster wallace's famous uh, supposedly fun thing i'll never do again because i was constantly reminded of it on this trip but my point is you can read the essay my point is that so much of the technology one has to deal with on a, a daily basis doesn't work now i say this over and over some of it does but for example in norway norwegian banking is everything's done off your smartphone it works pretty well but norway is a tiny country tiny 5 million people total so imagine and it's a very affluent country so imagine this technology projected out into more diverse more crowded um more you know countries suffering greater inequality than this particular test subject would be disastrous on like the other that. hand on the other yeah. hand uh we are seeing it is not as if the world is completely brain dead i mean look at niger and burkina faso and yeah. uh that is very significant the us has something like 5000 troops in niger and uh what do they intend to do with that russia is sending people um exactly the nature of of the forces and personnel being sent by russia remains unclear i think at this point but uh the potential for for conflict there looms because that decision by niger would cost france huge huge amounts of money at a time when they are barely uh keeping their head above water as it is 
and they have been suffering massive protests now for two years. And you see protests other places. But the, we just keep cataloging these contradictions that the other side, on the other hand, you have uh, the war machine that the US just will not give up. I mean, I think actually the US is going to have to submit to some sort of peace proposal soon. They just, they just can't, they're gonna be sending Ukraine slingshots soon um, because they're, they're just out of weapons. And, and uh, Russia, I think has been extraordinarily actually circumspect and careful about how they uh, are conducting what is a kind of mop up operation at this point, because, and I said this a long time ago, they don't, they, the United States has to be given face-saving wiggle room to mix metaphors and cliches all in one sentence uh, to get out of this. And there's a U.S. election coming. And this is going to be a truly bizarre election where both leading candidates could be in jail by election night. Johan. Yeah, yeah, all, all of that's true. But in the end, we are going to end up with like a, a million dead which obviously could have been avoided if if people had not cheered on these these poor mongers and refused to see the the potential diplomatic solutions back in 2022 and and there is there is a blame here there is a guilt there's blood on people's hands and i i will i will not relent on that issue i think well uh, I, yeah go ahead. you know no just if i think it should not be lost on anybody. This was the 75th anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I was on press TV talking about it. the US has never, never come remotely close to anything like uh, a, a, an utterance of responsibility or an apology or anything of the sort. This was completely justified in their minds. And Victoria Newland's apparently went to Africa to talk to the deposed president of Niger. <laughs> they didn't allow her to do it. Uh, this guy is uh, quite remarkable, uh, but that's you know, a, a, almost a separate topic, but it is very interesting. Um, Johan, yeah. Yeah, on, on the topic of nuclear weapons, I was reading our friend Dennis Rich's book on, on nuclear weapons and energy here, which I, which I highly recommend. Uh, and in one of the chapters, he, he talks about his experience of, of Japanese culture since he came to Tokyo in, in I think, the early 80s. And, and one thing which stood out to him among these, these plastic marbles of video games, anime, otaku culture and all that, was this this marked infantilization of society as well as also a preoccupation towards relations with objects and and the uh, relations objects relations rather than the, the, to associate with actual human beings and i think this is a very very important observation because i think this infantilization is something ubiquitous uh, a ubiquitous characteristic of contemporary society in terms of a kind of stuntedness of the human person on, on almost every level. And this connects, you know, both to the loss of critical thinking we've talked about 
And in the absence, I've recently come across of, of this deep mythical reflexivity of a culture that I think is crucial for, for, um, um, for the psychic integrity of individuals. But I also think uh, maybe somewhat paradoxically that this loss of, of unstructured free play in our culture is actually key to this resulting infantilization. Mm. Because yeah. I think, yeah. you know, commodified work life, commodified entertainment, just like yeah. this tethered this free time of the vacation you wrote about in this recent essay, John, I, I think that's antithetical to actual play, and it's characterized by sort of structural surveillance, since, since it necessarily mirrors authority and submission in its very organization. So, so what do you think about that? Well, I, it's uh, allow me... Um, uh, because I'm working on a new blog post, and and the central topic is is education, compulsory education, uh, institutional education, but in particular the education of children, uh, the changes that have gone through. And I happen to have a quote of Ivan Illich from a book he wrote, I believe, in the '70s called "Deschooling Society." And uh, yeah, we all know this, and it's a great book, but let me just read you this quote. The modern university confers the privilege of dissent on those who have been tested and classified as potential money makers or power holders. No one is given tax funds for the leisure <clears throat> in which to educate himself or the right to educate others unless at the same time he can be certified for achievement, close quote. Uh, this, of course, I mean, the, the, it, on one hand, I feel like, yes, we all, we all get this. The, the values of the ruling class are trickle down and become the values of the society. But education uh, has become the trends and tendencies Illich identified 50, 60 years ago, have become far more acute today, as well as there was no internet when he wrote that. And so it's important to, 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 to sort of reverse engineer the university student um, back to the cradle almost to understand uh, the nature of 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 school today, um, Johan and our Varun, Johan, Johan Varun. I don't have a hand up, but we can also you can also connect this this notion of, of the school. I mean, which originally referred to to a situation of, of free time, of free dialogue and intercourse, uninterrupted by supervision, so that ideas and, and reflections could develop unhindered. So, so the very notion of, of, a, of forced schooling or compulsory schooling is at its root paradoxical. So yeah, go ahead, brother. Yeah, I think, I mean, in the sense that, I mean, the age of no internet versus the internet is kind of, um, it's just a higher efficiency of no internet, I think. The, the modality of the thinking process has not changed so much in the sense that, and I mean, I'll, I'll because we are talking about, or we were talking about uh, 
nuclear weapons, I did also watch Oppenheimer and the apologist idea of it leaves um, it leaves the audience, I think, with a very ambiguous and very personalized story of a really massive atrocity. It mm. takes the blame away from Empire, where it's this it's cast into this kind of ambiguous territory of a personal single individual. Mm. And it doesn't take into account where there was empire at play, where there was a very concerted decision, very, very decisive decision that was taken. So I think it's also this, and I think education plays a big part in this because the way people are educated after they pass out of out of so-called educational institutes are mainstream media, whether it's the newspaper or radio or film and so on, that creates a world worldview. And dropping this idea in kind of relieves, and I mean, I think Hollywood is very adept at relieving the tension and the guilt that American, like the US empire, the corporate empire and empire in general should feel. And it should be blamed for the, the billions of deaths it has caused around the world for, for private profit, for a handful of people, you know, so. Right, no. <clears throat> um, no, and I, I mean, I think that, that uh, there, I mean, there are so many really very good books on the history of education, contemporary education, but a, a number of them came out in the 60s, everybody from Paul Goodman to Paolo Freire, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, to uh, Gata, uh, that was a bit later, but this was all happening as Marcuse de Boer, all of the theorists were writing and it was a, a, a fundamental, even Foucault, I mean, there was a fundamental consensus that, that institutional education in the West at least was there to prevent create, creative thinking, the imagination, uh, it was had nothing to do with the ideals that it purported to be upholding. It was simply uh, to create efficient workers and more, if it's a university, efficient managers and supervisors for those workers. And that really hasn't changed. Uh, it, except for the fact that capitalism has changed a great deal and, and contracted and all the stuff that we talk about a great deal on here. But there is those, all of those books are worth reading again mm. and talking about, I think, because uh, uh, it, it's, they were also critiquing at, at their core, the idea of progress. And it was the last time anybody, almost, there's an interesting book that actually was on the New York Times bestseller list, Civilizing Ourselves to Death, Christopher Ryan. And I'm in the process of reading it. It's not exactly deep or, or theoretical, but it's not uninteresting. It's conservative in a way, but, uh, but and that reminds me, I wanted, I wanted to read something. 
from that. But um, uh, but the point is that that his point was the the uh, the crippling death's grip that this idea of progress uh, has had on on Western society. But let me read you one page, okay? I, I Forgive me. He's talking about mm -hmm. Darwin uh, and, and the voyage of the Beagle. Uh, so let me quote. Charles Darwin saw firsthand how difficult it was to sell native people on civilization. Passing through Tierra del Fuego on the Beagle, he was amazed by what seemed to him to be the squalor and degradation of people living in the cold and stormy southernmost tip of the Americas. In a letter to a friend, Darwin wrote, I have seen nothing which more completely astonished me than the first sight of a savage. It was a naked Fuegian, his long hair blowing about, his face besmirched with paint. Okay, then cut forward, fast forward, return quote. On an earlier trip, the Beagle's captain, Robert Fitzroy, had abducted three Fuegians two children whom the British called Fuegia Basket and Jemmy Button. Okay, parentheses. What the fuck names were those? Close parentheses. And a young man they called York Minister. The kidnapping was justified, Fitzroy felt, because the ultimate benefits arising from their acquaintance with the habits and language of the English would make up for the temporary separation from their own country, close quote, in the letter Fitzroy was writing. Fitzroy had taken them back to England, where he spent over a year with them, indoctrinating them into civilized life, even meeting King William and Queen Adelaide during their stay. Now familiar with the obvious superiority of European society, they were on the Beagle with Darwin, uh, headed back to their own people in Tierra del Fuego so they could preach the good word concerning the proper civilized approach to life. When the Beagle returned to Woolia Cove near what is now Mount Darwin, just a year after they were dropped off, Gemma, York, and Fuegia were nowhere to be found. The huts and gardens the British soldiers had built for the three were deserted <clears throat> and overgrown. Eventually, Jemmy was located and joined Darwin and Fitzroy for dinner on the ship, where he confirmed that the Fuegians had abandoned their civilized ways. Overcome with sadness, Darwin wrote that he'd, quote, never seen so complete and grievous a change, and that it was painful to behold, close quote. Darwin oh. noted that Jemmy hadn't forgotten, however, to use a knife and fork properly. When Fitzroy offered transport back to England, Jemmy declined saying he had not the least wish to return to England, close quote. No. Um, I think this is a very telling little paragraph, but uh, uh, 
Ryan <clears throat> talks in the book. I mean, he, he I haven't finished it, but it's it's very interesting. And Johan and I have written about this and talked about it, God knows, a, a quite a bit. And 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 as we formulate an idea for future seminars and and teaching mm. situations. This idea of progress is insidious and it's it's not simple, it's complicated and it permeates um, every aspect of, of Western culture and society. Everything is is linked, is driven by yeah. by this trajectory towards a better in quotation marks future. Um, yeah. Johan and then Varun and then here are you. I think this connects very well with something you just said, which I think is a is a very profound observation. You said something about how propaganda covers up guilt, and I think perhaps there's much to much more more to, the, to, to this this notion. I think maybe maybe the the propaganda apparatus has a, a key function in terms of assuaging and covering up guilt because. Guilt is is not arbitrary. It's this objective psychic phenomenon, you know, a sort of spiritual perception in the depths of an individual, which I don't think any one of us can really avoid. And, and to anesthetize this 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 revulsion we feel in the face of the crimes of empire, of industrial civilization, in the face of so-called progress, that that might be the the one of the most important functions of propaganda, really. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I think because I think to to invoke a culture of non-responsibility and complete indulgence, it is very necessary to get rid of guilt, mm. so that you don't understand what the repercussions of your actions are in the whole world, like the living world. Right? That's it's very necessary. I think that's a great point. But also, I mean, the paragraph that John read about Darwin. It's, I mean, as an ex-colony, it's it's very clear what the trajectory has been in a in a culture like India, where it's so diverse, so many languages, so many ways of clothing and food and so on and so forth, that the homogenization project was already in formation back then, right? Like it's already 150, 200 years ago that the homogenization project was already in play, that it was seen that farming, small farming communities um, should be organized, taxed, and mm -hmm. cultures, um, rituals, local rituals, which are connected to the land, should be transformed into industrialized, taxable economy. That is the project, isn't it? Like to make the unofficial, unofficial things um, in, um, interdependent activity and thinking and um, creation creation of culture should be infiltrated by the establishment and taxed and changed and kind of yeah. sanitized. So yeah, I think that's, yeah. That, was, that was a wonderful paragraph that you read there. Um, Hiroyuki? Yeah, I think uh, it's, uh, 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 the one one thing is that the uh, the when we talk about uh, interaction of progress and all that, uh, we also need to look at the fact that the uh, we're living uh, in a situation where things are already destroyed. It's not like you know yeah. uh, 
uh, going back to um, old, good old ways of uh, native uh, life. We don't have that. Mm. You know, we're already living in a colonized situation. Our um, social relations are already uh, corporatized. And um, so uh, what options do you want? Do you want it that way? Or do you want something better? Uh, uh, thanks to the uh, um, big corporate powers. Right. So, right. you know, this is a, uh, and if we don't uh, think about that, it's hard to have real conversation because, you know, uh, people talk about progress. It is progress over um, the uh, deprived situation of um, uh, inner city life, maybe, um, or the uh, severe poverty in the uh, uh, places where you can't even have um, place to buy food, you know? Um, you know, so this is, um, 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 yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. I mean, no, I can I, yeah, go ahead. No, just, I mean, I think that just, there's always one question that always comes to mind is that why would the establishment and empire be so paranoid about change, diversity, and difference? You see, like in the sense mm -hmm. that why would, why would the ruler be so worried because the only explanation i think is that that is the only way to retain power that is the only way to retain the hegemony that empire has on international diversity there is no other way to do that because the destruction of that diversity is the only thing that keeps it alive mm. <clears throat> well i think that there that's true um, and this, the, the uh, encouragement toward conformity and homogenization of, of everything related to culture, uh, all the values and moral positions, and there was there. This has been this. This has gone on for a couple hundred years. It just started <clears throat> accelerating greatly over what the last half century, and maybe even more recently than that. It made another leap in acceleration, intensification. But, but I think there is an interesting question here because because it's something this guy Ryan talks about in this this New York Times bestseller uh, and and or or somebody was talking about the relationship with, and you just touched on it this I or here you keep asking yourself this idea that well we can't go back to the good old ways because we would die out you know we couldn't do what Cro-Magnon man did which is true we, we, we'd just be fucked we'd be eaten by saber-toothed tiger the first night uh wow. we don't we are really increasingly dependent and now since since digital technology has taken the internet yeah people are even more helpless there are all those theories about that 
the premature uh, birth of, of humans, homo sapiens, that uh, we are so helpless at birth, we require years of uh, a, a, a caregiver or parent attending to our every need. Um, and so we couldn't go back because that world has disappeared. Now, I grant you all of that, but I also think there is a flip side to this, the way this discussion is couched. Uh, uh, and, and maybe my vacation this year uh, brought this home to me. Uh, something, something extraordinarily important is being lost, perhaps irrevocably, uh, in, in the, 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 the insertion, the invasive technology uh, in retail, in education, in, in a lot of business transactions. You can go to a hotel, you can order online, pay online, check into the hotel and never see another human being or speak to another human being. You can check out, leave, and never have spoken to another human being. Uh, and so there is a backlash against this. People don't want to check out like their own groceries and markets. They want a cashier to do it. Partly, I believe, because they want to look at another human face. But, but it's more than that. It is there is a desperation for the memory of something we once called community. And yeah. so, so I think this, this invasion of gratuitous technology, it's not, it's, it's not labor saving, it's the opposite. It, 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 it adds to one's labor, it's frustrating, it's dehumanizing and, and I think causes people in, you know, irreparable harm psychologically actually. Uh, and, and so we see have a society with 25% of the people on antidepressants or something, teen suicide going up, uh, uh, the, the self-harm, domestic abuse, alcoholism, drug overdoses, all of it on the increase. Nobody has a solution for this in the government other than to chemically warehouse people with stronger and stronger uh, antidepressants, uh, tranquilizers, psychotropics, whatever it is, because they're, that depression, that suicidal despair is logical given the state that we're in. So what I'm saying though is, I think if, if as a thought experiment, if everybody threw out their cell phones, Corey was the one that said this, right? but if everybody threw out their cell phones tomorrow and, and there was a Faraday cage, you know, put over the entire mm -hmm. planet so that no signals could get anywhere, there would be chaos. And, you know, clean drinking water might be, you know, a little problem some places. But I think in the end, people might end up better off, doing better, and would come together to find solutions in a way that they have given up mm -hmm. trying today. Nobody tries. And, and this is the, the communism question, isn't it? Because I heard somebody on, my God, MSNBC or something say, Joe Biden's a communist. 
<laughs> and I thought, was nobody going to tell me this? What the fuck? Uh, you know, this person gets 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 this gets us time on a main. So so that's where we are in terms of education, right? That the people of communism and fascism, they're all isms. I had some fucking guy. Oh my god. I don't believe in any isms. <laughs> uh, you you just you just want to you know you just want to bleed through the eyes or something. End it all. That level of stupid is hard to deal with, and that's where we are. So so yeah. it, it's it's important. One of the most important things I think actually is to explain to people patiently, slowly, incrementally, patiently, 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 that communism is not fascism, that fascism is anti-communism yeah. and that communism is anti-fascism. And they are, they are counter ideologies. Johan? Yeah, yeah, you go and send us a, another one of these great Barrington events, you know, the, the 1830 solar eruption magnetic storm that knocked out telegraphy equipment. It would basically achieve what you talked about. I, I also, on, on the dehumanization, I went to this um, assembly line restaurant a couple of weeks back where you you order stuff on a, on a tablet and it's it's sent out on an assembly line so you don't have to actually see a human being it's, wow. it's profoundly disturbing it's a novelty kind of thing but it still expresses the the inherent tendencies of the culture i think but but you know yeah. this fact that we're stunted as human beings increasingly dependent i want to get back to free play and i, I think this unstructured free play without adult or authoritarian supervision I think that's not only necessary, you know, for the kid to develop an independence and a sense of agency, but I think adults most definitely need this, this, I think, existentially crucial dimension of life, for instance, in and through the arts, through myth and ritual, not, not only as modified entertainment, but as integrated aspects of a life. I think that's so important. Absolutely. And yeah. <clears throat> um, if, if you... Go ahead, keep talking. I just, I want to read you something no, I'm just that gonna I wrote um, okay. a while back. So, but go ahead. It's going to take me a second. No, I, I think I think the Sami people argument is great here, Johan. If you could huh? tell us more about that. Yeah. But I think the identity question here is very crucial because the identity of the individual in modern industrial civilization is entirely built around being served by the establishment paradigm, it's not mm. built on serving community. So in the sense that it's it's a very highly indulgent form of existence at the cost of living of others. Mm. It's not about putting in the work in the land, in community, in other mm. people, and so on and so forth. It's it's rather the the, the investment is in hyper-reality. It's in banking, it's in economy, it's in all these kind of future hedging projects, which are hyper real, which are not really um, matter of fact, actually existent. They mm. are a kind of superimposition on the community, on the society, on on the planet, and so on and so forth. So, mm. so it disconnects 
the person from the true self from mm -hmm. interconnection so it it forces people to build for themselves a kind of superstructure where they are able to become more egotistical rather than more mm -hmm. understanding and empathetic so now in the sense that the the fascistic idea embodies itself into the individual where the individual is now saying that the world is my oyster right like i can do whatever i want there is no there is no connection to the larger connections of supply chains of economy and so on and so forth and how they actually function so yeah. there is a there's a really really very very stark and very disturbing disconnect from the world where a self identity is created in a person's mind which is completely disconnected from the world which is only feeding on propaganda which is really disturbing it's really disturbing in that sense it's really disturbing yeah um well i think johan has mentioned a couple of times children and free play uh that because there was a there was a very concerted effort at least in the united states toward structured play for children supervised play quality time was part of that and yeah. they just wouldn't leave the kids alone and children always would rather run off into the woods with no adults around and there are multiple reasons for this i want to write read something that i wrote I, like two years ago actually um and it's interesting because i just noticed that i well wittgenstein here wittgenstein asked if it were possible for an individual to have a private language that only he or she could understand the answer was no finally and it was no because our understanding of ourselves is publicly shared it is yeah. learned yeah. we learn we are experiencing pain or erotic pleasure we learn through shared understanding okay but then i want to read this paragraph which i actually think is rather good but it's something that i i continue to circle back to uh and it touches on this the basic way the self is formed and and identity and consciousness is shaped uh, in, in very young children. Anyway, quote, the modern individual for Marx coincided with the rise of markets in which the owners of commodities were able to exchange their commodities or the qualities thereof for quantities of the general equivalent. Modern subjectivity is deeply wedded to this emergence. But the idea wow. of human psychic evolution is complex. Children like to often go off by themselves and climb trees or explore terrain unfamiliar to them. City kids do their own version of this only in abandoned buildings. And younger children will often find a place, sometimes in a tree or in a grotto, where they themselves feel they can't be seen. And in their silence, they daydream. This is a familiar experience from everyone's childhood, I think, everyone. 
Now, these younger children have less developed vocabularies. They cannot articulate what they feel. And again, childhood amnesia looms as a profound riddle. But older children may have enough of a vocabulary to explain or describe what they felt alone in that tree. But it is always but a very partial description. For that sense of freedom, of aloneness, and usually quiet, is the other part of religious experience. I yeah. said before that religion comes out of theater, not the other way around. But this is partial too, for this aspect of taking oneself away from the world has deep roots that probably go back to early hunter-gatherer communities. For the child brings that experience back to the home or community yes. silently as men return from war, often mm. silently with a different and traumatic experience. Victims of violence bring that experience back to the home or society. And there are no words for this. And it is exactly because there are no words that it has such deep resonance. Is it possible that this unworded resonance is a deeper form of memory or rather another register of memory? The prehistory of the child in a sense Childhood amnesia is actually, this is a question, childhood amnesia is actually another kind of remembering question, uh, close quote. Okay. Mm, yeah. Well, um, I think, can I just quickly add yeah, here? Please, that, please, that's, please. that is so amazing in context of what happened in 2020 right mm. because yeah. there was yeah. no there was no individual experience there was only a group experience that was manipulated by propaganda wow. and yeah it was like non-experience right yeah exactly so i mean you're you're kind yeah. of manufacturing an experience for the group as propagandists you're manufacturing these there is no ex, there is no exit there is from no individual that paradigm. coherent experience that's, yeah that's there is none none yeah. not at all yeah and that that kind of it it kind of earmarks how society functions in general with the functions of economy, with profit, with culture, with everything. It's exactly the same paradigm, right? There is no exit from the prison of how experience is manufactured by no, no, no. And, and that also becomes the template for succeeding, you know, digital phenomenal social experience that that's sort of structured in this hyper real fashion since 2020 that that's, that's yeah. I think, very important. Yeah, because I mean, well, it's, see, it's, then it's like this kind of fabricated identity. It's like the false individuation right. that I've, I've spoken about before is that is the false individuation that capitalism affords individuals oh. where there is then like you said before about guilt that there is no guilt now in the individuation process oh. there is no there is no stress in it in the exploration of the unknown which john has written about it's only a reflection I, I, of this kind of fabricated itself yeah right? and i think i think wow. there's a there's a really interesting question to me i mean johan has touched on this in a couple of his essays actually uh the 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 Maybe because we all read gerrymander <laughs> or <laughs> arguments for the elimination of Bella. That's still a great book. Uh, but it is, you're talking, Varun, about the, this manipulated experience, the, the sort of prepackaged 
experience. Experiences become like uh, a cruise line. You're on a boat for a week with everything, you know, it's that David Foster Wallace supposedly fun thing. That used to just be vacation. Now it is all experience. I yeah, think. That's, that's, that's the new Titanic ship that just launched, right? And <laughs> so, right. Yeah. And so everybody, everybody is talking about Barbie and yeah. the secondary yeah. degree Oppenheimer, but mostly they're talking about Barbie, massive hit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so Justin Trudeau, I think Justin Trudeau is about to come out, by the way, but never mind. His wife left him and um, he just <laughs> jumped at jumped at the chance to wear pink. I don't know, you know. But uh, but he shows up. We have world leaders, leaders of nations. Mm. You know, it's the equivalent of going to a Star Trek convention. I mean, this is the president of a very huge country, and he's dressed in pink, going to a movie premiere like a Trekkie. This is the level of of crazy that we're living with. So, but my point is that everybody suddenly is handed this point of reference, Barbie. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have seen the movie. I haven't seen, I'm not going to see the movie probably, but I know what that movie is. I know what it means. And, and so does everybody else. And, and in lieu of actual experience, people can at the water cooler or whatever on Zoom talk about, Zoom is the new water cooler. The new office water cooler is Zoom, and so you'd be, well, did you see Barbie? No, I can't wait to see Barbie, though. You know, but um, we as a society are regressing rapidly, I think, and and uh, one of the things that uh, seems obvious to me is that the only promise is is to be found in the global south and yeah. in in places like Niger or uh, Chiapas or or wherever Syria and and uh, probably most of Africa and the Middle East and South Asia. It's certainly not in the EU and uh, North America anymore because this is. I think people are are. It's very hard for me to imagine people stepping outside of this that they don't outside of the, yeah. that they don't I don't know many people whose children some I have a couple of friends but I don't know many people who have children where those children run off um, and play unsupervised we were at the cabin I was actually at the cabin for about a week with with my boys because my wife was working on her master's thesis and whatever and the cabin's kind of in the woods, but it's not, there's still people about not too far away. But I just turned them loose in the morning, you know? They ate breakfast and they couldn't wait to go run into the woods. And they invented these just bizarre games, you know? And they'd create toys out of twigs and rocks and they pretended they were building a camping fire and it was just, you know, crumpled paper stuck together and then no, yeah. on and on and on and on and on and on. And um, I remember once when they were much younger, they were about three years old, they came out in the bedroom and they had a roll of toilet paper. They were just holding up under their nose and the roll was fell down to their knees. 
and they were making these noises and bobbing their head. And I thought, okay, guys, what, what are you doing? What are you? They said, like, impatiently to me, we're elephants. <laughs> and I said, well, of course you are. Yeah. That was, what yeah. was I thinking? That's, yeah. that's children's imagination. Everything can be anything at any time. And it's constantly changing. But I think part of that is that they, there's some dynamic of, that I wrote about in that paragraph, some dynamic about seeing, about being seen, seeing and being seen. That is not, yeah. we live in this strange digital panopticon and, or, you know, the surveillance state. And I think that has effects on people that yeah. have not been explored much at all well no i mean i think it's i'm just gonna add here really quickly i think it's yeah yeah there's there's an idea that's been implanted how do you want to be seen is is decided by the establishment right right so what you're right. what your your example of the children and i would really urge if you johan you could give uh like a like an example of the sami people and how they go hunting the big children because that's that's kind of giving this um, openness of the mind and the heart and the, and the being to be in the wild. Like the, uh, that example, John, of the kids being let out in the wild is amazing because that's something like when we are let out into the wild, it means getting out, of com getting out into competitive economy. That's all, yeah. that's all yeah. it is, right? Like there's nothing else to it. Is man eat man, dog eat dog, rat race, so on and so forth, and that's well, I, all that we have we have been taught. But I was raised in a city, and I yeah. remember in a big city in Los Angeles. I remember we the boys, my friends on the street where I live, uh, on weekends or in summer, we would run off and find buildings under construction unfinished yeah. apartment buildings and if nobody was on the site it was easy enough to break in and we would just wander around these empty rooms mm. sometimes just the scaffolding it was incredibly dangerous probably and climb down into the basements and and that we loved nothing more than that it, yeah it, it, it there was no particular gay purpose to the game it was just it was just being in this undefined empty space that was often yeah. usually quiet yeah. and there was something yeah. that we needed from that and i think contemporary children aren't aren't getting that in a lot of ways johan yeah i i know embarrassingly little about the sami people and i think most of them do not really live in traditional ways anymore but I think, think you're homing in on something crucially important here because I'm sitting thinking about what is the antithesis of this, this hyper-real dissociative spectacle that, that we're trapped in. And I, I think that you're, you're, you're like hitting the mark here because in a sense, unstructured play without supervision and, and any similar activities with this core aspect of free creativity, association, and relationality, I, I think they introduce this, this open space, this emptiness that permits transcendence in the most general sense of the word. I mean, this sort of window to the outside that enables the crossing of boundaries, conceptual and actual connections across 
real and conceptual divisions which integrate us into back into the world and into each other. I, I think that there we, there we must fight and we must make love and all that, but I think a crucial aspect of what you need to do is also play. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, um, I'll just, sorry. Go John. ahead. No, 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 go ahead, okay. go ahead. No, there's a, I mean, I, I know one example of a tribe in uh, a state of Madhya Pradesh in India, which is, um, they have every full moon, they would let the adolescents go and build huts mm. in the forest and be by themselves, right? Without other adult supervision, in the sense that they could explore what the forest is, what they are, and um, that kind of gives a, at the right age, people to understand their standing in the group, right? Mm. And to understand the dynamics of, of sexuality, of uh, sharing, of everything that communities are made of. But in, yeah. in, in, in the sense that in modern industrial civilization, all of that is already being doctored and fed to people. It's not yeah. for the individual to find out for themselves at all, in the sense that, I mean, initiation rights in that sense, like if you're let out in the forests to go and fend for yourself and come back, like you were saying, John, before, with some kind of trauma that is going to inform the community about what to do better and yeah. how to do better. Those are those are very different things. But right now we don't have any of that, right? Like we the only thing we have is that the D grade is worse than the A grade and the $250,000 salary is better than like a $50,000 salary. That's all we got. Like there's nothing else anymore, right? So we don't yeah. understand, we don't really understand the planet. We only understand establishment rules, empire rules, profit making, and exploitation. There is nothing else. Well, I, th I think, um, I, God, there's so many, there's so many topics connected with this, because I think that, <laughs> I think that the ability, that observation of Wittgenstein, that, that you learn by sharing, you learn the meaning of words by sharing, you learn much of your own subjectivity through sharing. You, mm. It is, others will identify it for you, you will question them, the world yeah. questions you. This, all of this is being erased. This, this is also, this is a, in the same way that solar geoengineering is yeah. erasing the sun and life, everything we associate with the giving of life, the rest of this digital electronic infrastructure is taking away everything we associate with the giving of life as well in a different register. That's what we're seeing. We are strip mining the, the natural world. We are strip mining subjectivity. And we are learning. Third, gener third generation of very damaged people in the West. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I think the, the hope is, um, is, is, as I say, from, from the parts of the planet least affected by this and there's ever fewer of them anyway okay uh, final thoughts from people 
Uh, well, what uh, I think what you just said, John, is I mean the exchange of question and answer. That is, I mean, the eradication of that is going to eradicate the idea of learning, which means, yeah, yeah. which actually means progress, right? Yeah. If it's only going to be establishment rules, then there is no more learning anymore. Interpersonal learning doesn't exist. And I think it doesn't mm. in a lot of places, you know? Yeah. I think in yeah. a lot of the West, uh, parents, a lot of parents have just abdicated the power to to have their, that their children might learn. I think a lot of people accept that nobody's learning, and then they return to Candy Crush on their smartphone. <laughs> oh my God, Hiroyuki. Well, the, it, it's it's very hard. I mean, uh, like John, you're talking about the United States uh, not admitting any guilt over the. Uh, uh, bombings of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and uh, um, um, the problem um, also is, is that the Japanese government uh, doesn't want the U.S. to do that because if right. the U.S. Right. does it, Japan is not going to be able to rely on the uh, the nuclear power, and also mm. uh, the the fact that Japan is accumulating plutonium plutonium um, to develop uh, their own nuclear weapons if they need to do that. And uh, that's that's a significant part of the uh, uh, nuclear industry in Japan. Nobody talks about it. So, um, and all those things are not allowed to talk about. So when we, people, people in Japan, uh, if they want to learn about imperialism, if they want to learn about militarism, if they want to learn about any history that's significant, meaningful, you really can't because there's a, there's a limitations in terms of where you can go. You, you can only go within this framework where yeah. thinking is limited. And this is just one example, you know? So like Varun was saying, it's basically about, capitalist imper imperatives and uh, nothing else, uh, nothing to do with the uh, um, uh, cogent uh, community interactions that's based on uh, interests of the uh, community members. So um, it's a um, yeah, interesting situation, but, but I was listening to uh, uh, you guys talking about kids going to, uh, going out, uh, doing their own thing without uh, parental uh, uh, supervisions and uh, but my kids um, they have been you know going out we live close to the water and uh, there's a uh, uh, island they found uh, they can go with canoe and uh, the kids would go there and uh, they would camp and they would um uh, uh, catch things, and they would, uh, uh, they they would, you know, it's a it's a, a little place they can go, and no grown ups are going there, and uh, they would explore, and you know, we ask about how the place was, but you know, they don't talk much about it, and uh, so you know, <laughs> it's interesting. They the kids do have this innate tendency to go out and do things like. 
uh, when we went to uh, um, Yakushima, we, you know, we took a big trip to Japan and we went to this island in the south and uh, uh, we, we did two day uh, hike. It's a big hike. We uh, ended up staying at the mountain hut um, and um, it, it was uh, uh, tremendous uh, physically for old people like us and uh, kids, they just went all over basically they 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 went off the track and uh, uh one time I, I i noticed you know that they were not there you know we couldn't find them and uh, we found out that they were just uh, going down the cliff and they were swimming in the uh this um river uh with a bunch of boulders it's it's a magnificent um view uh I, I was inspired you know one of the kids uh um you know i followed them and i i i uh, i found where they are going in and uh, i uh went to the place and uh, it's it's definitely not a part of the path but it's like it's a grand magnificent uh landscape and uh, you know they find those things and uh, right. so you know kids yeah. are still you know uh you know being kids but obviously um the physical limitation and the psychological limitations put uh yeah. within our culture and language um is you know it's a it's a difficult situation you know it's uh well i think if if you if you find i think you're right kids will kids are are hardwired to do that to explore and search these things. Yeah, it's, it was and totally constant. It's just that there, it, it becomes ever harder. And I think that each stage you reach in school with each advancing grade, each platform you reach, something of that impulse is lost. Right, with, right. With yeah. each and I mean, if you are day. going into the educational system and the better you are, the, the worse you are in terms of you know being intuitive and uh, you're indoctrinated and yeah. um, so it's a it's a difficult situation you know yeah no all right uh no it's this is i mean i th i think this is these are very kind of core questions in a sense given um, the state of things but all right any last thoughts from anybody uh i'm sorry corey couldn't make it uh but hopefully next time yeah and uh i want to thank jack Lippman in la mm. and i'll give a shout out to red snail on the left coast the north left coast of uh, the u.s mm. who wrote us a really nice letter uh and uh a lot of the i mean we've gotten some some nice stuff from people and it's much appreciated and uh this uh i hope will will be up by tomorrow but if you're hearing this tomorrow is all relative isn't it so all right <laughs> thank you varun hiroyuki johan and uh we'll, we'll be back in a couple weeks i suppose if the sun isn't blotted out by now. Okay. Thank Adios. you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.